Last week we started a series called Stand Firm, and uh, it's a series that we've been, I've been planning for a little bit, and, and Tim was somebody who I would get together with every single Friday, and so if it has to do with the church, we talked about it all the time. Every single week, whenever we could get together, I processed everything with him, and we talked about this series too, and, and actually in, in, uh, in two weeks, Tim was going to speak for me and, and, and preach here at one of these messages, and so we got to talk some about this series and, and just why it's important. And, uh, and so even, even as I teach these weeks, the things that we talked about and some of the ideas and thoughts that Tim had will come through and, and are also shared in, in part. And, and I know when we talked about standing firm, one of the things that, that really weighs heavy on me and, and on Tim, it did on Tim as well, and, and it's just the fact that too many followers of Christ are being knocked out. Too many followers of Christ uh, at different times throw in the towel. They start strong. They, they, they get excited about what God is doing in their life and coming back to church and, and maybe are taking some steps uh, to grow and maybe life seem, even seems to be going pretty well. But as soon as the challenges come, as soon as the storms come, as soon as the temptations are there, as soon as, as life throws a, a curveball, or just simple things of getting out of the habit or the routine or just getting distracted by other things, Faith starts fading. Faith starts waning or maybe even abruptly gets thrown into the corner. And we look around and go, who is standing firm in the faith? And I believe no one embodied that better than Tim. And Tim and Edith together standing firm in the faith. And so I want to talk about that today. And and we take our passage uh, that that is the foundation for this out of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And and I just want to read this passage to you again just to get that into our, our minds. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul, who's writing to the church, he's writing to believers, and here's what he's saying to them. He says, A final word, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. For we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil, so that after the battle, you will, be, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the sturdy belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power the Holy Spirit gives you. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. Be ready. Stand firm. Hold your ground. The devil is roaming around. He's trying to take people out. And he's trying to keep people from ever knowing Christ, forever putting their lives uh, and their trust on him. And so what we're going to be talking about over these, these next several weeks is not just the awareness that we are under attack. We talked about that last week. And if, if you've lived in this world any length of time, you know that if you just stand still, you're going to get bowled over. Our culture, our society, the things that are being taught continue to pull us like a vortex away from the good things and away from the truth of life and leading us into lies. And we must stand firm or you're going to be taken out. And you can probably think of stories of people who have been knocked out by tragedy, by difficulty, by questions, by doubts, and their lives have just not been the same. 
But we don't have to be like that. We don't just have to go around, hey, we're constantly under attack, and I don't, I'm, I'm afraid of getting taken out. Well, Paul's saying, be strong. Lift your chest up. Put your chin up. I am going to tell you how you are equipped to, st- to face the battle. God has given us everything we need to stand firm. And so we're going to look at these different pieces of, of armor, as Paul related to the Roman soldiers at the time. The, the soldiers that he saw walking around saying, look how they're prepared for battle. Well, as a follower of Christ, you are equally prepared, and even more so prepared because the Holy Spirit equips you. And he took different parts of that suit of armor that the Roman garrisons were wearing, and he equated different parts of a spiritual reality to them. And he begins with the first piece that he talks about, and that's what we're going to talk about today. He says, have the belt of truth around your waist. The belt of truth. And so today, I want to talk about what does that mean? Why did Paul begin here? And what does believing out the lies that we live, how does the truth and lies, how do those relate? And if we live out those lies versus the truth, what impact does that have on us? I'm as prone as anyone to live out lies. Not intentionally, not being somebody who's lying. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about things that I think are true, and I begin to live and orient my life according to those, and I let them affect me, and they lead me to a bad place. For example, a a year and a half ago, and you've heard me share a few times, and if you've been a part of the life of our church here, you've you've heard this, but it was probably the darkest time for me in my life, the summer of 2012. And we had been at church for just a little bit over five years, um, and even going back almost two years ago to this time, hit some of the biggest walls I've had in, in my faith. And a lot of it had to do with leading this church. When I set out to plant the church, I had great dreams of, of what would happen here and how we would just um, reach the community and just continue to grow. And obviously God is doing great things and is wonderful things. But I'm somebody who just thinks big, thinks long, wants to go for it. And, and I, you know, in, in maybe my naiveness, I thought, man, we'd, we'd, we see hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people, multiple campuses. We're going for it. We were making some of that progress. And at about the five-year point, things were actually heading in the wrong direction, according to my thinking and planning and the vision that I had. And all of a sudden, we went from two services to one, and we had to let staff go, and, and our attendance was dropping and dropping, and people were hurling some arrows, and things got ugly and weren't always pretty. And I just thought, what is going on here? And it was depressing. It was, it was dark. It was hurtful. It was, it, was, it was just tough. And I remember allowing some of those feelings, though, to, to really affect me and, and how I viewed who I was. And, and who am I as a pastor? And where is my value? And, and, and man, I'm a, I'm a failure <laughs> I'm not a good pastor. I'm not a good leader. If I was, the church would be bigger. People would be, more people would be coming to faith. We'd have more energy. The resource issues wouldn't be a problem. We'd be expanding. I must not be a good leader. I must not be a good speaker. If I was, people wouldn't leave the next week. They'd come back. They must not like me. They must not. All, of, all this kind of thinking was going on. Yes, I'm prone to that. Anyone else? <laughs> and, and I just, I lived in that reality and I believed some of these things. And, and, and I went on a trip to, um, to Indiana in the summer to a conference that we had there and met with a lot of people and was just trying to get guidance and insight and, and, and from different folks. And, and uh, one person, one pastor friend of mine said, you need to go talk to this guy, Derek Wilder. I'm like, who's Derek Wilder? He goes, let me make a phone call. And uh, tomorrow morning, if you can have breakfast with him, um, I, I, I want you to meet with him. And so I, I, he set this up. And Derek Wilder is actually the president of Hallmark Homes in Indiana, the biggest um, home builder in Indiana, and I think even in, the, in some of the Midwest uh, region over there. And he um, had gone through some of his own struggles and some of his own crisis of just the pursuit of, 
of, of, of wealth and, and, and power and as far as just growing a business and having influence and just, you know, getting that kind of uh, reputation and it consumed him. But he was a man of God and a man of faith and God really did a work in his life and he began to try to help other people who were dealing with some of those same kind of issues and he, he founded an organization called Transforming Lives that are committed to just helping people walk through some of the difficult things and basically exchange the lies that they're living for the truth and the freedom that comes from living with Christ. And so I, I met with him for breakfast, and here this guy who's obviously very influential in his company, has great responsibilities, dropped everything on a phone call he got the night before and spent like two and a half hours with me at Bob Evans in, in, in Indiana. And he began to, to just say, okay, well, what's going on? What are you feeling? What, what, what's happening? And I told him a lot of the same stuff that I just, just told you. I, it's just all not working the way it's supposed to go. It's not going like it's meant to, and I'm just not sure about myself and blah, 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 all this stuff. I was telling him. He started asking us, well, where, where are all these questions? Where are all these things coming from? Where are these emotions that you're feeling? Where is that coming from? He started asking me some questions and making some statements. He said, so, so your value equals how many people come to your church? Okay. Can you control people coming to church on a Sunday? Okay. So you're putting your value on something. Oh, okay. You know, just these, you know, counselorish kind of questions. You're just going, you know. <laughs> and he says, oh, pe- people not coming to church means they, they don't like you. Oh, okay. Okay. I think uh, there's a lot of reasons people don't like to come to church, and it may not be you, but I don't know, it might be you. It's quite possible. But, um, and then he said this, too. He said, so you can plan for what will happen in the future. You know, your, fi- your ministry plan and where things are going. So you can, you know, you, you can predict the future. You know where things are going to go in the future, right? No, oh, you can't. Oh, you don't know the future. Oh, okay, so that plan, that vision that you had, what, you know, and it was just some of these things, and I just stepped back going like, oh, man. He said, well, you know, one of the main lies, and he says, you're not the only one, Mark. It's just people everywhere, especially if you're driven, if you're, if you're forward-thinking, if you're motivated in those ways. He said, one of the lies, and we all buy into this in different ways, is this equation. Your worth equals your performance plus other people's opinion of you. How many of us would say that's true, that my worth equals my performance, how well I'm doing? The better I do, I have more worth. The better other people think of me, if, if everyone has a great opinion of me, I feel worth more. And when those two things come together, ah, that's my worth. And so our, it's so fragile, we're holding on to these things, and this is maybe a topic for another day, but, but this was one of the lies that I was buying into. And when I buy into that lie, and when I live my life out of that lie, what happens? Depression, darkness, feeling of, of, of less worth, frustration, anger, whatever it is that comes out when we feel those things. And, and, and what, what Derek began to help me see is saying, look, if you're living on the wrong foundation, just in this one area of your life, if that is your truth, you're going to keep pursuing other people's opinion. You're going to keep pursuing perfection and trying to do better because that's how you're going to find your worth. And if you do that, you're going to crash because you'll never find it in those things. And that's the nature of lies. You will never find your hope, your truth, your foundation when you build your life on lies. And the thing is, we don't realize they're lies. We don't go, nobody out there is going, yep, I'm living my life based on a lie. Yep, everything I do, all, all the values that I hold, those are lies. And I think, and, and I think it's great. We think they're truths. And what is a lie anyway? It's a lie is always disguised as a truth, is it not? When you lie to somebody, when a kid lies to you, heads up, uh, I'm going to tell you a lie now. 
No, it's always disguised as a truth meant to deceive and to distract. And one thing Derek was saying to me in that meeting, he said, look, he goes, if you're a follower of Christ, and we talk about the fruit of God's spirit in our lives, a tree bears fruit based on what is feeding its roots and its soil and what's in it. So the fruit of the spirit, as scripture tells us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the spirit. Are those bad fruits? If you're living the fruits of the Spirit, would you go, man, my life sucks? No, you wouldn't. You said these are the good things that come out of that kind of life. Depression, darkness, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, just a, just a hatred towards things, or maybe just a shortness in your spirit, just the inner depression, feelings of unworthiness. Where are those feelings coming from? Do those originate from God's Spirit in your spirit? They don't. So the fruit is coming out. It's coming out from something else, and it's not the Spirit of God. And so we need to get into a place where we understand what is God's truth and what are the lies that we are living in, and we need to begin to, to swap those out. And we need to begin to change, change those out. How do we change those things is what, one of the things I want to talk about. But let's look at this area of lies. The, the Bible is very clear on the source of lies. I want to read to you John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 43 to 45. John 8, 43 to 45. And here is Jesus speaking. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It is because you are unable to do so. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning and has always hated the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies... It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Clear words where Jesus is saying, some of you, and maybe some of us here, don't get this whole church thing. We don't get this whole Bible. Why are you people worshiping? Why are you raising your hands in worship? Why do you keep talking about this book and Jesus? And and you don't understand the truth because maybe your eyes haven't been opened yet. And Jesus wants to help you open your eyes to the truth because he's saying anything else is a deception. Where do you get your truth from in this world? Your brain? Your own thinking? I've thought this through. It makes logical sense. I'm the master of my universe. I have my truth. You have your truth. I know things. And even though it doesn't make sense that we can have different truths and believe different things and both be true, that doesn't even make sense, but it's okay. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I believe what I see on TV and what Dr. Phil says and what Oprah says and, and, and what the, you know, all the reality shows, that's reality, right? I believe what is, is, is brought forth for me in front of all these, these great movies that I pour into my head, all these great lyrics that the more money I have, the more love I have, the more sex I have, the more ambitious I am, the bigger house that I have. Those things, that's life, that's the American dream, that's success, that's value, that's worth. Lies. I've bought into them, and I find myself repeatedly slipping back into that mode because we're just saturated by it. You cannot live in this American culture and in this society and not be held captive by those things. So we need to do active battle because one thing that the belt of truth is there for is to say, look, we need to be grounded in truth because the lies are all around us. And one of the ways that Satan is attacking us is by making the truth the, you know, appear to be a lie, and the lies to appear to be a truth. 
And it started right in the Garden of Eden. Start in Genesis, and we talk about the foundations and understanding of, of who we are. And, and one of the first things that, that, that Satan did is go to Eve, and he said, did, did God really say? Did he, re- did he really say that? Confusion. Doubt. And then a blatant lie when she says, well, he said we shouldn't eat of this, this fruit or we will die. Surely you will not die. You're two, two chapters into this book. Two chapters into the story of who God is and what pe- who man is and who Satan is. And it, and, and it begins with a lie. And that lie began the whole process of what is happening. And not just lying, Satan is called the great accuser. We read in Revelation that he is accusing his people day and night before God. And he's trying to make accusation and cases against you. He is not on your side. None of us here would probably say, oh, yes, we worship the devil. But what we are doing is we are worshiping the things of the devil, the things of this world, the things that cannot bring the peace and the hope and the joy. So what are the lies that we believe and that we allow Satan to use to defeat us? We've talked about not being good enough. We're failures, we're losers, we're unlovable, we're unwanted. If I'm perfect, people will love me. If I earn a lot of money, have nice stuff, I'll have more worth. If I don't sin and I'm perfect, God will love me. A lot. Otherwise, I suck. If I'm pretty or thin or have nice clothes, I will have self-worth and God will love me more. If I date or marry this guy or that girl, I will have value. If I indulge in pleasure, what I want now, sex, stuff, food, entertainment, technology, fill in the blank, I will feel good and be happy. I don't need to be involved with the church. Faith is my personal thing. I don't have anything to offer in the church. I don't have any gifts. God can't use me. You only knew who I was. Because of my past or my mistakes, I'm damaged goods. God can't love me. If I go to another church, it will help me grow stronger in my faith. It'll be better. I can spend the majority of my time and my free time with unbelieving friends, and and that won't affect my faith. I'm not happy in my marriage. If I quit, things will get better. On and on. Just a little more. Just a little more money. Just a little bit bigger house. We can fill the whole hour with the lies that we buy into. And it will never lead us to the truth and to the life that God has for us. So Satan keeps us focused on all these different things. And so Paul talks about this belt of truth. Why start with the belt? I don't know. Maybe, you know, we overread into this. But the belt was the thing that held everything else together, Right? The belt in the end, and it totally surrounds us. And so I think Paul in some ways is saying, look, surround yourself completely in truth. Leave nothing open. The wholeness of God's truth, surround yourself in that. And in that truth, you're going to be able to resist the devil. Now, the belt can be kind of cool. I don't know if you've seen, you know, military and soldiers have belt and have all kinds of things on their belt. Police officers have all kinds of things on their belt. They're prepared, and the belt is what really grounds them. Now, now if you... in in the times of the Roman soldiers where this was written, the belt also had a function. If you've ever heard the term, gird your loins, has anyone ever heard that, girding your loins? I always thought that means like pulling up my underwear or something. I, I never really knew what that meant. I, was, I don't know what to gird my loins. Uh, yes, I did that this morning. Thank you. I girded my loins. Apparently, the loins were the bottom of your robe, were like kind of the bottom of, of what they would wear at that time, which may have been some longer garments that were below. And so if soldiers were going to fight, to gird their loins meant to, to roll up the edges of their robes and to tuck it into their belt 
so they could be more movable and more mobile and be ready. And so now it's come to mean, gird your loins means be prepared for battle. And the belt was key in helping them prepare for battle so they could be mobile and moving. And so here Paul is saying, look, surround yourself with the truth. Put on this belt. And as somebody else said, it's, a, it's the belt that, that, that holds up your spiritual pants. <laughs> right? Right? It's the truth that holds up your spiritual pants. And that's what we need. And Paul begins with the truth. Because he's saying, if you're going to ground your life and base it on anything else, you can do all the battling you want. But if you're not centered and grounded in truth, you're fighting the wrong battles. You're missing the point. So how do we ground our lives in truth? Well, first we have to identify some of the lies. And there's a, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient. Imagine that, taking captive every thought, and now I'm going to make it obedient to the truth that I know. I would love to eat all those donuts that the youth group had out this morning there. There's two big boxes when they gathered. I would love, my thought is devour, eat, enjoy. And I have to take that thought captive and I have to say, I'm going to make it obedient because that doesn't fit into my waistline. That doesn't fit into my heart health, right? And, and so you see it in an example like that. But what about all these other lies where we say, I have a thought a temptation, a thought where the world makes it look so good to do this, that, and the other and say, I'm going to take this thought, I'm going to make it obedient to the truth of God's word. And in Romans chapter, chapter 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, truth and lies, the battle is played out in your mind. And so this is where we have to really ground ourselves in the truth. We have to change the way we think. When we change the way we think, it changes our emotions, the way we feel about things. Like in my case, when I started going, that's really ridiculous to think that I can know and plan the future. I knew the economy was going to burst in 2008, well, you know, right after we launched our church. I knew that. I could plan for that. No, you know, we can't foresee those things. We, we don't know what happens to the people around us. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And when I, when I live in that reality and step back and kind of go, that's not my fault. <laughs> or that's not God's judgment. And I put the right truth. It changes the way I feel about things. So it changes our emotions. And then it can change the way I act. And that's really where we begin to change and become different people. John 16, 13 says, The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And so this this process of, of growing in a church, a church world that sometimes is used as sanctification. And it's basically allowing God to continue to transform you, to make you more and more like who he created you to be in the first place. And how do we grow in that is replacing lies with truth and following in that way and becoming and living in a way out of that relationship of Christ that gives us the freedom to really experience the fruits of the Spirit and everything God has for us. You know, when Jesus stood before Pilate, before he was sentenced, and he was arrested and was sentenced and was going to be sentenced to die, and he's standing before for, for Pilate and, and under this authority, and here's what Jesus said in John 18, 37. He says, I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Jesus came to bring truth to the world. In Colossians, Paul says, In him lie hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. It's not found anywhere else. It's hidden. It's in Christ. And the Holy Spirit will lead us to that. Jesus came to bring us the truth. And so when we try to build our lives on anything else, what's it for? Jesus taught, um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where he's teaching about all these different things in life. A great message to read, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And famous in that passage, he says, You have heard it said, da 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 but I tell you, 
What's he doing there? He's replacing the lies with the truth. Or he's replacing the things that aren't going to get you to live and experience the kind of life and hope except through Christ. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And he goes through that, the whole process in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he gets to the end. And now as his conclusion to his, his sermon, he turn, he, we come to Matthew chapter 7, and uh, verse 24 to 27, and he tells this little story. Verse 24, chapter 7, verse 24. You've heard me say all these things, he's saying. And then he says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will fall with a mighty crash. We've all seen it. I've seen it time and time again. Building your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his truth, your house will stand. It doesn't mean, he didn't say winds won't come. He didn't say things aren't going to beat against your house. The floodwaters aren't going to rise. He didn't say any of that. But he says when they do, not if they do, when they do, you will be standing. You will be standing firm. Stand firm. Nobody embodied that better than Tim. Nobody. Man, if anyone had an excuse (laughs) to roll over and check themselves out of the game, it was Tim. If you know about Tim's situation in the last few years, his diabetes just really attacked his body in different ways. Now, if you only heard him over the phone or only just kind of got to engage him in in a conversation level, you would never know it. But the diabetes took their toll in different ways, being on dialysis for for hours, four or five hours a day, five days a week. His eyesight, numerous, numerous eye surgeries, losing, losing vision, losing light, hardly able to see implants and angioplasties. And I mean, he was at the doctors more than you could imagine. Amputations, losing circulation, part of his foot cut off. And, and you know, he was always joked about it himself, but, you know, he's hobbling around. He can't see. Thank God for a faithful wife and a supporter, and they were one. Edith and Tim are one. Absolutely. Look, that's, it's to Tim's amazing spirit and God in him that we give credit, but we know without Edith that wouldn't have been possible. But if anyone could have said, you know what, I'm just staying in. I give up. I'm just, you know, I'm an old man, or I, my body doesn't cooperate anymore. What can I do? How can God use me? Talk about torrents and winds and floodwaters that were rising in these years. They kept coming, but Tim, just vigorous spirit is the word that just keeps coming back to me. Just a, just a spirit that would not be knocked down. If anything could have knocked down him, Satan was putting everything on him. I mean, in some ways like a Job type of thing, right? And, and he said, no, I stand. And he stood and he stood and he stood. He'd get up and preach. So glad we can still listen to some of his messages online. And his truth that he spoke continues to to work in our lives. He was a mentor to me, as I mentioned, every single week. I couldn't wait to get there and just pour out the stuff that I'm processing, struggling with, going through. He was a mentor and a counselor to many of you. 
I mean, up until, like I said, up until the last night, he's still counseling people. Edith, you have to keep. You had to keep a major schedule. I had to get myself in there. He was busier in retirement than than now because he just didn't stop. If he could love people, how many would you know in his state that would say, "I'm going to make every effort I can to get to the youth group on Wednesday nights, even though it's tough to see out there and the walkway isn't steady and and maybe I can't interact the way I do." I love one. Just a couple weeks ago, they showed they showed me a picture. Right, they had gone to Target, Tim and Edith, and and he had his he had his shopping cart. You know those 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 electric ones with the baskets. And he had it filled up with all these little kids' bouncy balls, right, to the top. And people were laughing at him and were asking, like, what are you going to do with that? You can't even walk or see. And, and he said, I'm buying them for the youth because we're going to play games tonight. He led the games for the youth, and he loved the students. He poured his, his heart out for the, the students. He was a youth pastor for so many years in his life. And, 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 and people will give credit to his influence and, and Tim and Edith together in that ministry, pouring their lives in, into students. He wanted to be here and said, put me in the hallway so I can greet and meet people. I want to meet them. I want to know them if they're new here. I want to do what I can. He just continued to pour out into others despite all the things that were coming his way, serving on the advisory council, giving guidance and counsel to the church, praying faithfully every single day for the church, for me, for the things that we are doing, for the students. His body was failing, but his spirit stayed vigorous. Satan could not defeat him. And even as we talked about this message and I and I talked. We talked about truth, and and different times over the course of the last couple of years. If there was a question of theology, or how do we how do we understand scripture, or a certain thing that's going on, we'd always talk about well, what what does the Bible say? And I remember even in one, I think our last meeting, Tim said something along the lines of, um, you know, on, on a lot of things, I don't have an opinion. It's not about my opinion. It's what does the Word of God say? It's not about my opinion. It's not what I think. It's not what I feel. It's not what I reasoned in my mind. Let's look at. The Bible, chapter and verse. Where are you getting this from? He was excited about what was happening with the student ministry and this desire to get back to the truth of God's word and say, let's start here. Let's not start with culture and what everyone else is telling you. Let's start with God's word and let's build on that. And let's go from there and really mine the truths of God's word. Tim leaves a gaping hole in this church. A massive hole. He was one of my personal pillars. A pillar in this church. And you know what happens when pillars get taken out, right? If you don't support them with something else there, things can collapse and fall. Now, thank goodness Tim just wasn't a pillar unto himself. He was a team with Edith, and we know Edith is still here and strong. She needs our love and support right now. But they poured themselves into others so that it wasn't just, look, it's all about me. No, it was about I'm pouring into others, and he has poured into each of you. Talk to one of the couples this morning who Tim just counseled and now they were excited to come back and say, hey, we're get, you know, we got married and, and just kind of reconnect. And I said, well, he poured himself into you. And he did that for person after person. And now we have to stand in that gap. That pillar, we have to stand in there. And it may take 20 of us to hold up that same spot that he himself, together with Edith, were holding up. We have to step into that. I was excited this morning. One of the things I was going to say here is who's going to step in to, to help with the youth ministry? Who's going to be a male in that who's going to have a presence there with the men in that youth group and helping those boys make decisions and be a godly influence and, and stand in that gap and say, yes, I give up my Wednesday night and I'm going to serve there. And I was excited to hear that Alan Frank jumped into the mix that missed already this morning, uh, wherever Alan is. Thank you. That's an example where we got to step in. Who's going to take it upon themselves and say, I'm going to be, I don't care if I'm going to schedule to be a greeter. I greet people. This is my church and I want to know them. It's, it's what Tim did. 
I could ask him anything. Can you preach for me? You got it. I remember one day, one Sunday, actually when I was going through this whole crisis thing around that time, I remember one Sunday I just didn't, I spoke and I had bitterness in my heart and I didn't feel right. I had kind of contempt, to be honest with you. I just was preaching out of the wrong motives. And I, I finished that sermon by the grace of God. And, uh, and I remember I walked straight down to Tim. And I said, will you preach for me next Sunday? I'm taking a break. You got it. You got it. He stepped in. Didn't matter. Somebody need help, Tim? Can you help counsel these people? Yes, you got it. I'll do it. Whatever it took. We need to step in that gap. To stand firm. Not to be wishy-washy. Not to be flaky. Not to be hot one day and cold another. On fire about your faith and the next day it doesn't even exist. Stand the test of time. That we could say at the end, well done my good and faithful servant. You didn't let yourself be swayed one way or the other. You stood firm in the truth that God loves you and that God is real. That was Tim. That is others around us here in this church who we look to as pillars and to say, let us be those kind of people. Let's not be swayed by the lies, by the lure of the world, the things that are misleading. Let's have the kind of homes and marriages that are rooted and based in, in faith and to live out the kind of love that we talk about. Jesus did more than just say, I'm come, I've come to, to bring you the truth. He himself is the truth. Truth is only in Jesus. It's not about following the Bible. The Bible points us to Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And out of him flows all truth. And so if you don't know Jesus, you don't know truth. If you don't walk with Jesus, you can't walk in truth. If his Holy Spirit is in you, you cannot walk in truth. It is only in a relationship with Christ. And when we have that relationship with Christ, which requires us to put aside our pride and our egos, to, I have built this foundation in my life. These are my truths. These are my realities. I have everything figured out. I know what's wrong with these political parties and that issue. I know how they should solve their marriage. I know what's wrong with how they raise their children. I have it all figured out. I'm my own self-made man or woman. Pride. You will never be able to follow Christ. Humility, the cross, requires us to say, I lay it all down. I lay it all down. I am not the king of my castle. I am not the ruler of this world. I do not know the future. But what I can do is I can have a future to know in Christ that it is secure and it is safe. And when I lay down my pride, then God begins to come back in and Jesus fills those voids and say, now let's build your life on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And what it means is following. It just means daily following Christ and letting him lead you through his Holy Spirit into all truth. If there's bitterness, negativity, ugliness, depression, unworthiness, those are not of God. God brings us life and freedom.